0: We are, we are, we are are cultivate. Cultivate, 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 Cultivate. We are Cultivate. Hello and welcome to Your Crime where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going on this
1: fine Sunday evening?
0: It's going. I'm finally out of the car. I've been in the car a lot today.
1: I was part of that problem, so thank you for
0: that, and sorry for that. (laughs) You're welcome. I'd like to preface this week's episode by saying that our goal for this month is to highlight people of color who should be recognized not only because their voices may have been relegated to a footnote, but also to recognize just how awesome they are as people, not just for what they did or for the color of their skin. I understand that as two white women from the Midwest, we can never fully grasp what it means to be a person of color and the stereotypes and racism that is associated with that. And we are not pretending to like that is
1: no.
0: not at all what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we also understand that to some, it may come across as inappropriate for us to be talking about the content that we are talking about this month, as we attempt to tell these stories which is fine. People are allowed to feel how they want about that. That being said, if you choose not to listen, which is entirely your right, I hope you will at least check our show notes because we are including a list of other people of color podcasters who are much more knowledgeable on the subjects than we are, especially um, black history that we recommend you check out. So regardless of if you listen or not, check them out, check out some new shows it's great content.
1: Yeah. And I, I thought it was also really awesome too when you pointed this out that this is also a good mix of like historical, like more of a history focus than mm-hmm. not, and not necessarily true crime. Mm-hmm. We had a discussion earlier this week and Lindsay made a really great point of, you know, we, we're technically true crime first, but we're also history. And so having that kind of focus with, People that have a more historical focused podcast and less, a little less murdery Mm -hmm. in the sense of like focusing on the murder first. I think that's really awesome and important. And it's really cool that, you know, you've found such a good list of creators to
0: check out. Mm -hmm. And this is only a sampling. Like there, I I know there's (laughs) way more out there, but these are just some that I found that I was connected to in some small way whether that's just we follow each other on Twitter or mm-hmm. they happen to be part of a history focused podcast list that we're also on again just recommendations for other history podcasts that have more of a focus on black and people of color historic events that i found fascinating and helpful as a listener mm-hmm. so we hope you And want often
1: to. stories that aren't told enough. Yep. And aren't highlighted enough and shouldn't be highlighted necessarily in our lens. It should be
0: in the proper lens, yes, but we can boost it, so so that being said, I just wanted to clarify where we're at with our mm-hmm. intentions behind the stories we're telling this month. I never want what we're producing to come across as like bandwagony or however people might categorize it, just found. Some people that I thought were really, really cool that I wanted to highlight, especially this month. That being said, I'm going to segue us into this week's topic, which is Nancy Adams.
1: You know, it's really funny. What you talked to our dad about this this afternoon?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I already forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Like just like you said, you were like, "It's okay, I'll tell you." She'll forget anyway. I did.
0: Yep. Cold, fresh brain. Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) I know you. (laughs) Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 Face to Face Africa article by Mildred Europa Taylor. 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Sabrina Imbler. 2019 Telegram article by Susan Spencer. 2017 The Quarto Spring Summer Newsletter article by Mary H. Parsons. And the National Park Service. There aren't a lot of sources this week, Mm -hmm. but that's mainly because A, there's not a lot of information on her, but B, the sources I did find had a wealth of information. So I don't want people to think that I was slacking on my homework. I will (laughs) not It's the quality of the source, not the quantity. Exactly. Got it. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. Nancy Adams' life and story was brought back to the forefront almost on accident when engineers from the Massachusetts Department of Public Works discovered several unmarked gravestones in a wooded hill next to a gravel pit in 1982. Hmm. Sounds spooky. It starts out real spooky. Especially
1: in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Kind of a spooky area. They had been sent out as part of a project to lay improvements to Route 146, but instead had discovered the abandoned old almshouse cemetery, or basically like a pauper cemetery. Okay, got
1: it.
0: Boston University archaeologists were called out to assess the site, and in their search found 16 field stones, of which one in particular stood out. Hmm. The marble headstone, which had been damaged, simply read, mrs nancy adams after it was carefully reassembled mrs adams was buried in a yellow hexagonal coffin made of pine and poplar with a single brass hinge pretty but who was she i'm gonna tell you (laughs) nancy adams was born enslaved on march 31st 1766 she managed to escape slavery not once not twice but three times. Dang. Once in Maryland and twice in nearby Connecticut. This feat is even more impressive, given that archaeologists noted a mushroomy deformity on her hip, denoting that she walked with a limp for many years.
1: Hmm. I was one. I was worried after the first attempt that something may have happened or, I don't know.
0: Yeah. According to her gravestone, which says she was born in Louisiana, she was actually born in Eastern Maryland. Nancy was among the 95% of enslaved peoples who weren't taught to read and write. Of course. Nancy married at the age of 17 in 1783, and as a result of that union had two sons and a daughter. Her first escape from enslavement came when she learned that her enslaver planned to sell her and her children to the "quote unquote" Spaniards. Okay. Some historians believe Spaniards meant to a plantation in Florida, as it was under Spanish control at the time.
1: Okay, were they were they known to be like worse in terms of treating people? I, I would assume going from Maryland to the South in general would probably be. More unpleasant, potentially. The further south you
0: went, the worse it got.
1: Okay. And Florida was about as south as you could get. So I could see why she'd be like, hell no.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We're leaving. Yeah. (laughs) Following this news, she took her family and hid in the woods, where they lived for around five months. Wow. Oh, God.
1: That's heartbreaking that she got caught then.
0: In her own words, quote, with no food but acorns and no shelter but a large tree which had been blown up by the roots and which we cut out with our own hands, Stop.
1: They lived that way for five months in Maryland? Yep. Oh my God.
0: Nancy and her children were coaxed out of hiding with the promise that they would instead be sold to a neighbor named Jesse Waters that would allow Nancy and her husband to purchase their freedom. And that their son, because she only had the one at the time, mm-hmm. would be free once he reached the age of 22, and their daughter at the age of 18. Furthermore, any future children the pair had would be born free.
1: That's a good deal, but that I, I would have a hard time.
0: Yeah. As you may have guessed, this ended up being a lie. Yeah. But not right away. Of course not. For around two or three years, Nancy and her family had belonged to Jesse Waters, who lived in Worcester County, Maryland. And in her own words, he was, quote, very kind to us, end quote. Okay. She and her husband would work nights and earned a considerable amount of money, around $72, or around $2,200 today. Wow. Like, in total? From oh, what I was okay. able to see, like, in total, yeah.
1: Okay, I would assume that would be quite quite the amount for somebody who was enslaved.
0: Exactly. All seemed to be going well until one day, Jessie sent her husband to Georgetown on an errand. And while he was away, he sold Nancy and her three children to an enslaver located in Port Gibson, Mississippi. Wait, who sold her? Jessie, her enslaver, had sent Nancy's husband away.
1: So that he could sell them while he was gone. Yes. Cute. Great. Yes. Awesome.
0: Mary H. Parsons, who wrote an article in the quarto titled Documenting the Life of Nancy Adams, a Fugitive Slave, believes that the Georgetown that Nancy is referring to is possibly the Georgetown area of Delaware. Okay. So,
1: So probably not terribly far off, but just enough to distract him.
0: Yep. According to Nancy, men, quote, bound me and my children with ropes, end quote, before they were transported via wagon to Newmarket. There they stayed until they were put on a vessel destined for Baltimore, Maryland. Nancy stated that they were, quote, put down into the hold where we stayed three days and then stopped a short time, but soon sailed again to Baltimore, end quote.
1: It took three days to get down there?
0: To Baltimore, yeah.
1: That's crazy.
0: Mary believes that Newmarket refers to East Newmarket, Maryland, which is located on the eastern shore of Chesapeake Bay. Okay. So based off my limited knowledge of the geography of Massachusetts, <laughs> I think they were more inland, so part of what took so long is they had to travel out to get down, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. After arriving in Baltimore, they were taken via lumber wagon to the Ohio River and then put aboard another boat, forced to disembark and board new boats on the arduous journey down the Ohio and Mississippi Rivers. Okay. Unfortunately, her daughter passed away during the trip.
1: Oh my God, no.
0: When Nancy and her sons arrived at Port Gibson in 1803, they were forced to work on a cotton plantation likely across the river in Louisiana, which would make sense if we think back to how her original headstone listed her as being born in Louisiana.
1: Right. Well, and it would make sense too, since they had stolen her from her husband, that they probably gave her a different identity altogether.
0: Possibly. Nancy and her sons had never picked cotton before, and Nancy suffered horribly. She lists an example of the cruelty they faced by sharing a story about her son. Quote, One time, my son, who was then about 19 years old, went with my master's son in a boat on the river, and they were afraid that he was practicing to run away. So he was taken and received 400 lashes, after which oh he was God. salted and peppered. End
1: quote. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine the pain. Would you even be able to feel anything after 400 lashes?
0: That was the whole point of the salt and pepper. Oh,
1: God. Oh, gee. I've never heard that before.
0: Mm Mm-mm. And in one of the sources that I looked at, they said that was actually a fairly common practice, the salt and peppering. And I didn't know that. I had no idea. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's
1: all bad. It's horrible.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. Nancy and her sons worked the plantation for more than 23 years before Nancy was sold once again in 1826. Although due to a hole in her letter, it's just as possible that she meant 33 years, at which point she would have been 70.
1: She was still working.
0: Mm -hmm. Based on the rest of her life and age when she passed, I'm inclined to believe that it's more likely it was 23 years, which would have made her 60 when she was once again sold to a new enslaver.
1: Okay. Was she sold separate from her sons?
0: Yep. Her sons were still there. (sighs) Okay. Her new enslaver took her with them on a trip to Norwich, Connecticut, where she was able to escape a second time by hiding out in an ice house for two days until her enslaver left Norwich. Nice. Nancy remained in Norwich for 12 years until news reached her that her former enslaver knew where she was and planned to come and recapture her.
1: Oh, God.
0: Upon okay. learning this, she fled for her third and final time to Uxbridge, Massachusetts in 1838. At some point during her time in Uxbridge, Nancy was mentioned in William Lloyd Garrison's abolitionist paper, The Liberator. Not once, but twice. The first on October 25th, 1839, when she donated 25 cents, Mm or about $8 today, to the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society, along with 31 other people in Uxbridge. The second mention was seven years later, on July 17th, 1846, when she sent, quote, a very liberal supply of excellent cake, end quote, <laughs> along with a 20 line dictated letter of gratitude to William Lloyd Garrison himself when he was in town to speak.
1: That's really cute. I wonder
0: what kind of cake. I, w- like, I wish I knew. What was I her knew. specialty, you know? I wish I knew what kind of cake it was. The entirety of the note reads as follows quote, A token of gratitude. Mm-hmm. A short time since, I received the following note from Uxbridge in this state, dictated by one who, to use her own affecting language, was for 40 years a slave. Forty years! What a dreary waste of life! The note was accompanied by a basket filled with a very liberal supply of excellent cake, (laughs) which, of course, was all the more acceptable inasmuch as the donor says it was, quote, the work of her own hands and the product of her own industry, So that first part was written by him. Mm-hmm. And the second part is the note that came with the cakes. Got it. I probably should have read this beforehand. <laughs> and this is from Nancy, quote, Will Mr. Garrison accept the contents of this basket as a mere token of the regard of Mrs. Nancy Adams, an aged woman who was for 40 years a slave? It is the work of her own hands and the product of her own industry. She wishes it to be an expression, also, of her deep interest in the great cause to which your life is devoted. She was separated from a kind and loving husband and a dear son, who, for aught she knows, are yet toiling under the lash of the oppressor." Nancy lived in Uxbridge as a free woman for the last 21 years of her life, before her death in a poorhouse on June 6, 1859 at the age of 93. Wow. Her original headstone, which was unfortunately damaged during cleaning, is now stored on the third floor of the Uxbridge Free Public Library. More information came out about Nancy after her death. An Irish weaver named John Berrigan paid for Nancy's boarding for a time having her stay with his family. Later, the town paid $1.50, or $54 today, to move her to the almshouse, or the poorhouse, where she ended up passing a few months later. The city also paid $4.50, or $161 today, for her coffin.
1: That's nice.
0: Nancy's story was largely unknown for several years until a group of researchers from Uxbridge submitted a proposal to have Adams' original burial site added to the National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom, which is operated by the National Park Service. I didn't know that. I didn't either. That's really cool. As of 2020, more than 600 sites have been added to the network, and Nancy's burial site was officially accepted and added to the list in 2019. Awesome. The Network to Freedom, which was created in 1998, allows communities to submit research facilities, educational programs, and sites associated with the Underground Railroad Freedom Movement. Hmm. Uxbridge itself holds special significance in regards to the Underground Railroad. It was the quote-unquote heartbeat of the movement and home to a Quaker community that actively worked to abolish the practice of enslavement. Awesome. Uxbridge is actually located at the crossroads of two historic highways that were used by those seeking freedom, Boston Post Road, which is now known as Hartford Avenue, which connected Boston and Hartford. This intersected with the Great Road, which is now known as Route 146, ironically, the one that they were going to put through the cemetery, that runs from Providence to Worcester. Unsurprisingly, the town is home to a large community of Quakers, even today who were historically one of the first groups of white people in America that openly opposed slavery. Awesome.
1: That's one of the the only good things they really did. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like... You're saving grace.
1: Yeah. Like, good for you, I guess, for that one thing.
0: Yeah. Between the 1830s and 1850s, there were around 2,000 residents living in Uxbridge, and about 450 of them were involved in the anti-slavery movement.
1: That's awesome.
0: These included prominent Quaker families such as the Buffums, Farnums, and Caprons. In fact, Uxbridge is also home to a number of sites that have also been added to the Network to Freedom. 11 that are mapped, but around 30 in total. So not all of the the 30 have been added yet to the network. Awesome. Still still working on it. Yep. Two major sites that the people of Uxbridge are currently hoping to add to the list includes the Friends Meeting House and Cemetery at 479th and 500 Quaker Highway and the area surrounding the Town Common. The Town Common was owned by the Capron family, who were millers that served as active station keepers of the Underground Railroad, providing shelter and resources for freedom seekers. Knowing this, It makes a lot of sense that Nancy would have settled in the community. When she appeared in a census in 1850, she was still listed as 78, born in Maryland, with no real estate or occupation, and that she was illiterate. Another census was conducted in 1855, at which point Nancy was listed as head of a single person household at the age of 84. So now this poses an interesting question when was Nancy actually born? Does she even know, honestly? I don't think she did. So if we go off the census, then her year of birth should be 1771 or 1772, not 1766 as it was originally recorded. Yep. No one for a long time could seem to agree on how old she actually was. Massachusetts' death records list her as, quote, 100 years, three months, and six days, end quote, at the time of her death. Some obituaries list her year of birth as 1764, while official death records noted as 1759. During Mary's research into Nancy's life, she used her letter to gain clues into her actual date of birth. It's entirely possible, as we said, that Nancy herself was unclear when she was born. Using her letter and census documentation, her date of birth has been narrowed down to sometime between 1759 and 1769, but for sure no later than that. This would have made her between 89 to 100 years old when she passed. That's crazy. Which is kind of, which is quite the spread.
1: Yeah, especially like with her super hard life Mm -hmm. and living very minimally and having that abscess or whatever that was on her hip.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh man. In 2017, the Uxbridge historical commission, which consisted of Susan Franz, Peter Emmerich and Roy Henry, along with researcher, Michael Petaskey made a surprising discovery while looking into Nancy's life at the university of Michigan's Clements library. There they discovered a letter that Nancy dictated in 1838 when she was 72 Ooh. that included much of the information we now know about her and her life, which is a lot of what I referenced when I or yeah. what I used as reference when I was putting together her story. In one section of the letter, she states, quote, I have thus far tried to give some account of myself, but I have not told half that I could tell. My eyes have seen what my tongue dares not speak. End
1: quote.
0: Nancy's letter was sent to abolitionist sisters Sarah and Angelina Grimke, two prominent activists for abolition and women's rights, by way of fellow abolitionist Samuel Philbrick in Brookline, Massachusetts. The Grimke sisters, born in 1792 and 1805 respectively, were raised on a plantation in South Carolina and despised the brutal treatments they saw the enslaved endure.
1: Like most people should have at the time. Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: Nancy had met the Grimkeys during their visit to Oxbridge in January of 1838. The sisters had asked her to write an account of her life, which she dictated, and which I've referenced. Yep. So going back to the beginning, following the discovery of 31 other bodies in the cemetery, which each were disinterred and in a move I'm not cool with, relocated to the Boston University for study. Oh. Why? Because the highway improvements still needed to continue. Great. So they're
1: not they're not doing it for the love of research, they're doing it because they needed to move it to build the highway.
0: Yep. And a graveyard full of people wasn't going to stop it from being built. Cute. Nancy's remains were also examined. And it was noted that, quote, she suffered from a tragic and difficult life and with severe disabilities, end quote. Her skeleton revealed a severe dislocation or fracture of her left hip joint that was never properly treated.
1: Hmm.
0: Her pelvis was also misshapen and the thigh bones distorted and shortened. Archaeologists determined that these injuries had likely occurred earlier in her life and would have led to the serious limp that they believe she had during her final years.
1: Okay.
0: If we think back to how she suffered on the cotton plantation, and her noting of how cruel the enslavers were there, mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that she received some, if not all of these injuries, during her 23-year span that she was there. There. But...
1: Even the journey there, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But we have no way of knowing for certain, like, when she sustained these injuries. Yeah. Thankfully, in 1995, 13 years after they were rediscovered and removed from their final resting place, 31 bodies, including Nancy Adams, were relocated and reburied in the new Almshouse Cemetery, which is located at 80 Almshouse Road. The cemetery is around a half mile, or 0.8 kilometers, away from where they had originally been buried. One of the bodies, which was that of an indigenous person, was instead interred in Thompson, Connecticut, in the Indian burial ground after it was returned to the Nipmuc peoples.
1: Okay, so they they properly reburied them. It wasn't just being like, hey, this is an Indian burial ground. Let's just put the body here. Yeah. they. Okay, great. <laughs> the,
0: the peoples that he belonged to properly interred him. Great. Awesome. Just,
1: you know, make it sure.
0: Yep. No, <laughs> this I get looks it. right. <laughs> yeah. I felt weird when it just said, when it just referred to it as Indian burial ground, but apparently that's like what it, it's been officially called. So I was okay. like, okay, I guess it's okay to say that then. But, but yeah, he was properly relayed to rest. Got it. In 1985, a man who was interviewed by the Boston archaeologists informed them that his father had purchased the land on which the old Almshouse Cemetery was located from another man whose daughter was named Elizabeth Adams. Elizabeth, who it's believed is Elizabeth S. Adams, according to the 1850 federal census of Uxbridge, had told this man's father that the land included the grave of, quote, a very lovely colored lady, end quote, who had worked for her family. If this is true, then it's possible that Nancy took on the surname of that family. Okay. Okay. It's unclear who paid for Nancy's original headstone, although some believe it could be a member of the Lyman Adams family, or perhaps a friend of hers who was an abolitionist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But unlike other flagstones that held little to no information for the deceased, hers provided a wealth of information. Nancy's headstone, which is a replica of the damaged original, reads as follows. Quote, Mrs. Nancy Adams, a respectable colored woman. Was born in Louisiana, March 31st, 1766, died in Uxbridge, June 6th, 1859. End quote. The fact that Mrs. was added to the headstone acknowledges the fact that she had a husband mm-hmm. as well as possible children, which we know she did. Yep. Although today we tend to balk at the phrase, quote, a respectable colored woman. End quote. Back when she passed away, it would have conveyed just how esteemed, dignified, and respected she was while alive. Yeah.
1: Like, that was the highest compliment of the time for somebody of her status.
0: Mm -hmm. The new burial site is also one of three that are currently recognized in town by the African American Trail Project, which operates under the direction of the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy at Tufts University. Diane Miller, who is the National Program Manager for the Network of Freedom, stated that Nancy's life is the perfect embodiment of what the Underground Railroad was all about, as it perfectly demonstrated the most common patterns for escape. One, when she avoided being sold to another plantation in the South via escape. Uh Two, when she escaped via opportunity while traveling with her enslaver to a free state. And three, when she ran as a free person to ensure she wouldn't be recaptured by her enslaver. Diane shared that during all her time at the Network to Freedom, she's never encountered another story that includes all three examples. In her words, quote, and the fact that she told her story herself, that's beautiful documentation, end quote. Mm. And that is the amazing story of Nancy Adams.
1: That's really cool. It's incredible that she was able to do that. I'm, it's frustrating that she had to mm-hmm. run away three times before it mm-hmm. finally stuck, but I'm glad she did die a free person.
0: Yep, exactly. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation, either over on buy me a coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material become a member of our patreon today for as low as a dollar a month i don't know what most white people in this country feel but i can only
1: include what they feel from the state of their institution now this is the evidence you want me to make an act of faith risking myself my wife my woman my sister my children on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen.
2: Looking to learn more about black history? Considering ways to actively participate in racial justice? Interested in how you can love black and brown people? We are a multi ethnic collective dedicated to loving black and brown people by educating, resourcing, and challenging white people to actively participate in racial justice. The highest calling of humanity is to love. Whether you know it or not, the racial disparities in our country hurt us all. They train us to protect our advantages rather than love others, and that mentality reduces us. In this podcast, we'll be discussing people, places, and events in black history, ranging from Black Lives Matter, the Confederate flag, convict leasing, church hats, redlining, and more. We will release new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. And we end every episode with a call to action, which is an opportunity to put what we believe in our hearts and minds to practical works within our daily lives. For more information, visit our website at blackhistoryforwhitepeople.com or you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com backslash blackhistoryforwhitepeople. It's a great place to partner with us, have a say in what future topics are, and receive some great bonus resources. Every 10 episodes, we donate all of the proceeds that we get and we give it to a black-centered organization. I'll leave you with this. It is not enough merely to think racism is bad. When faced with injustice, the only righteous response is to oppose it.
0: This week's podcast plug is the Black History for White People podcast.
1: Hey, fitting. I know.
0: (laughs) Our goal is simple. Educate white people on black history. Nice. The highest calling of humanity is to love. Whether you know it or not, the racial disparities in our country hurt us. They train us to protect our advantages rather than love others. And that mentality reduces us. New episodes will be released on the first and third Wednesdays of each month. Nice. And we have a link to their show in the show notes. And they are also one of the lists that we have added to our list of podcasts by Black creators that you should check out. And on that note, what is something good you'd like to share? Something good.
1: It is the Sunday between our two parents' birthdays. So happy belated birthday to our mom. Happy Mm -hmm. early birthday to our dad. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty good time this weekend. I went to visit them and made a lemon blueberry bundt cake Mm -hmm. with a blueberry glaze. That was requested for the birthday cake. So I got to bake and relax and the dogs got to run, which is good because they were becoming feral. So it was was good. But everybody was very overtired by the end of it. So I was very happy to leave. (laughs) Yeah, uh, other than that, that's my one really good thing. What about you?
0: I would say my good thing was I got to see everybody not once but twice over the past 4 days. Mm-hmm. So I picked up Maddie and dropped her off at our folks on Thursday after work and got to celebrate her mom's birthday with her mm-hmm. with them and then came back on Sunday with my girls to see them again and to pick up Maddie. Hence part of the
1: the driving, all the
0: driving mm-hmm. that we discussed at the top. It was just kind of nice to see everybody.
1: It was really nice. It's a rare occasion we get to see each other when it's cold.
0: Yeah. We
1: usually just... We're like, see you in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> bye
0: See you when my fingers won't fall off. <laughs> All right. Shall we? We shall. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. A great way to support the show if you want to help out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or wherever you can leave a rating. This week's comes from Apple Podcasts from user A.E. Boy, C.E. Jr. A.E. Boyce Jr., one of those. <laughs> and it says, very interesting topics. I've been hooked on this podcast since episode one. What? I really enjoy history and combining this with crime. Go! ah, thanks. Thank you so much. And thank you <laughs> for
1: listening to episode one. Yeah, thanks for being hooked after episode one. That was a.
0: Those were rough days. That
1: was a test drive.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Tell me about it. I would like to think we've improved since then. I hope so. Who knows? (laughs) If they kept coming back, we must have. Yes. what I'm going off of. Absolutely. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree, and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog. a separate list as well just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. Well on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay and I'm Madison and we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.